So beginning today, during this um, sitting period, we'll be offering a formal guided meditation for the loving-kindness practice, the metta practice. And it is optional, if that wasn't clear. Um, So if you're in the groove and you feel like you're on a roll with your practice and you don't uh, need this infusion of inspiration or can't quite face coming into the hall with this many people at this time, then it's, it's perfectly fine to just continue with your practice and your own rhythm during the afternoon. Uh, you might hear us refer to this word, some of you might not be familiar with it, metta. It's the same word that's you know, up in big letters on the, the front of the building here. And that's a word from the Pali language, which is the language that a lot of the uh, oldest teachings, Buddhist teachings, were first written down in. It's kind of a poor uh, relation of Sanskrit. And it, uh, the word metta comes uh, from the root mitta, which shares the same uh, ancient Indo-European uh, ancestors with words like ami, amigo, the, the me, and those amici, all those kind of romance words having to do with friendship that have the me in it. That's the same as metta. So the, the more of an accurate sense of the word is really friendliness. Bhante Gunaratana, the great Sri Lankan monk who wrote uh, Mindfulness in Plain English, he likes to translate the word as loving friendliness or just simply friendliness. But uh, as the Buddha did with many of these very commonplace terms that were in circulation in his day, he, gave, he put his, his own particular twist on it. So not just friendliness, not just caring or goodwill, but an unconditional, an unselfish goodwill and caring friendliness. It's the sense of uh, really wishing for the well-being of some living being, either other living beings or ourselves equally, since we're also living beings. And the practice, the way that we're going to teach it here during this retreat is, is in a very traditional way. And there's many, many different ways of cultivating this quality of metta, this quality of loving kindness. The way we're going to present it is a very traditional way um, that dates back to the earliest recorded Buddhist teachings. So it's got a good pedigree. (laughs) People have been doing it this way for literally millennia. Um, But if you have your own way that works for you, if you have an established loving kindness practice, it's fine to just pick that up and run with it, to do it in whatever way you already know is effective for you to open the heart, to soften the heart. You can just let all of you know, our talking be in, be in the background and just do your own thing. But some of you we know are completely new to this practice, don't have any experience with it. So we'll kind of start from the basics. So the way that we do this practice, it has three ingredients. One is that we bring a particular living being to mind And I'll talk a little bit more about that when we get started. And then we offer that being, just silently, internally, we offer them good wishes, kind of like little Hallmark cards. (laughs) And those little wishes that we offer have four flavors that are called the four universal wishes of, of goodwill. These are the really ancient ones that are found in the early texts. So the first universal wish of goodwill is the wish for safety. The second one is the wish for mental well-being. The third is the wish for physical well-being. And the fourth is the wish for what's sometimes called uh, ease of well-being. So the first one is pretty easy to get, safety. So this is something that if we reflect on it, every living being wants to be safe, right? We want it here. We know that for ourselves. We want to feel safe. We, don't, we want to be, feel secure. Um, it's you know, really distressing for beings, many of our fellow human beings and many other non-human beings that are caught in circumstances where there is real constant danger or periodic danger. Um, and some of us might find ourselves in that situation sometimes too, and we know how distressing it is. So we can uh, offer this wish to ourselves, to our fellow human beings, to our fellow non-human beings, you know, down to the smallest, you know, fruit fly. (laughs) You know, I don't know how, I don't know exactly what it's like to be a fruit fly, but I'm pretty confident that in their own little way, they want to be safe. They don't want to get smushed, (laughs) they don't want to get trapped, they don't want to starve. So we we can relate to that, just on this common level of being, living beings together. 
And it's the same with these other wishes. So no matter what we might know or not know about another living being, we can be pretty confident that they want mental well-being. They want peace of mind, happiness, help, you know, whatever that might be for a fruit fly or for somebody on the other side of the globe. Uh, Each in our own way, we want mental comfort, mental happiness, mental ease. And same thing in the body. You know, we really feel this here on retreat. <laughs> you know, it's, it's really distressing when there's physical dis-ease, when there's discomfort, when there's um, at, uh, uh, d- disharmony in the body, when the body is uh, acting up and there's not well-being in the body. Again, even those little fruit flies in their own way, they want their little bodies somehow to feel good. <laughs> they don't like it when they feel bad. And then the last one, uh, ease of well-being, or what we might call uh, comfort, comfortable life, uh, ease of um, prosperity, certain amount of prosperity. This one refers to having enough material well-being to be able to be comfortable in life. So for us very complicated human beings, you know, it's, it's, it's... being able to feed ourselves, clothe ourselves, house ourselves, pay the bills, keep the electricity on, keep the water running, not have to worry where our next meal is coming from, if we're going to be able to make the next mortgage payment. I mean, you know, these are things that are really distressing when we can't meet our basic needs. So we're not talking about like uh, luxurious levels of prosperity, but this kind of baseline level of comfort and prosperity to where we don't have to worry We don't have to feel insecure about just being able to sustain ourselves and those who depend on us in the world. And it's the same, you know, for our uh, non-human fellow beings. They want to be able to care for their young or for their pack or their tribe or, you know, whatever units that they live in, be able to meet their own needs. So these are uh, four universal wishes that we can offer equally to any living being. So they're not very specific by design. So we bring a certain being to mind, we offer them the wishes silently, internally, we we cycle through them. May you be safe, may you be happy, may you be healthy, may you be prosperous, or whatever form of those we come up with. So it's, it's fine and it's actually recommended that we find our own way of languaging those, so that we're saying them in a voice and with words that feel like they're ours. They feel like they're authentic, and we can really say them with confidence. We're not just kind of repeating the traditional formulas. Although some people do that. That's also fine. (laughs) But you're free to experiment and see, how can I offer that wish of safety in a way that really feels meaningful, that really touches my heart? So we bring the being to mind, we offer the phrases, and then after each phrase, we wait a moment. So there's a little bit of a component of uh, awareness practice to this. We, we leave a little bit of a pause after we offer the good wish to see how the heart responds. And the heart may respond in any number of ways. You know, we're, we're working towards cultivating a greater quality of uh, caring and loving kindness, kind of free-flowing goodwill, but that will not always be the heart's response. <laughs> you know, we may bring a being to mind, wish them may be happy, and the heart may say, eh, you know, <laughs> or the heart may just say nothing, you know, we may be bored, we may be aversive, it could bring up all sorts of different emotions, things having to do with ourselves, our own lives can get triggered, so there can be many, many responses, this response isn't necessarily, and we don't need to force it to be loving-kindness. It's, it's to be really honest with ourselves about what is this bringing up out of the heart, and to give that its space, and to give that its respect, to just be what it is. And we say, okay, that's that, that's what it was. Offer the next phrase, see what that brings up. Pause a minute, offer the next one. Different people go through the cycle at different rates, so some of us may move through it at quite a brisk clip, others we may offer one phrase and then take quite a long time to sit with the reverberations and what comes up around that. So we kind of feel our way through it. What's the right pace to work for ourselves? So that's the basic instruction. So if you want to sit comfortably, as comfortably as possible, this is a practice where a certain amount of comfort is really helpful because it's hard to feel particularly loving and kind when we're in agonizing pain. 
So it's, uh, you can feel more um, permission than perhaps you usually do to adjust the posture to relieve uh, pain and pressure, just kind of quietly yeah, moving the limbs as necessary. Or yeah, you might want to take a chair for this meditation if you don't normally. And let the eyes close or just be downward. And just come into the body again. We had a bit of talking there. Let that settle down. Feel the body sitting again. Feel the breath moving through the body. Noticing the quiet in the room. We want to start in the easiest possible place with cultivating loving kindness. So we want to begin by bringing to mind a being that's very easy to appreciate, that it's very easy to recognize their good qualities. Often it can be easiest to begin in the loving kindness meditation by choosing someone Uh, who's been particularly kind to us, someone toward whom we feel gratitude, appreciation, someone who traditionally is referred to as a benefactor figure. So this might be a teacher or a mentor, but it doesn't have to be. It could equally be maybe a child or even a pet. someone who's really uh, an influence for good in our lives, that's helped us along our way, or that brings us joy, someone who we're always happy to see. Usually the first person or the first being that comes to mind is a good choice. So we don't have to spend a lot of time finding the perfect benefactor figure for our meditation. So settling on one. I'm just imagining their face, bringing to mind a visual image, the time that we've seen them smiling, happy. Maybe bringing to mind interactions that we've had with this being that have been particularly inspiring or delightful, beautiful. And what are, reflecting on what some of the good qualities of this being are. They're wise, they're kind, they're open, they're supportive. whatever comes to mind. And then connecting with the understanding that this being, just like all beings, cares about their own happiness, cares about their own well-being just like all of us. They want to be safe. They want to be happy. They want to be reasonably comfortable in their own skin. They want to be reasonably comfortable in the world, in their communities, their societies, their homes. Just taking that in, this this desire for happiness is here in this being. We may not ever really have thought about that before. 
So out of the appreciation, the friendliness that we feel towards this being, can we then find it in our hearts to offer them the four universal wishes? So again, proceeding at our own pace and with our own language. May you be safe. And seeing how the heart responds to that. And again, bringing them to mind. May you be happy. May you be healthy. May you be prosperous. May you be safe and protected. May you be peaceful and at ease in your mind. May you be peaceful and at ease in your body. May you be able to live comfortably without struggling to meet your needs. May you be free from fear and danger. May you be free from mental anxiety and stress. May you be free from physical suffering and difficulties. May you be able to provide for yourself and for those who depend on you with ease and with joy. So continuing now at your own pace with the meditation.
just coming back when the mind wanders off, as we always do. Bringing to mind our dear benefactor, our other beloved being. And seeing if we can offer them our heartfelt good wishes, goodwill. May you be free from danger. May you be free from mental suffering. May you be free from physical suffering. May you be free from want and deprivation. May you be safe from inner and outer harm. May you be relaxed and comfortable in your mind. May you be able to inhabit your body with equanimity. May you be able to make your way in the world without undue difficulty.
May you be safe. May you be happy. May you be healthy. May you be prosperous. If it feels rich working with this particular being that we've settled on, feel free to continue offering them your good wishes. If you feel like you'd like to move on and consider another being, we might reflect for a few moments on how this benefactor figure or dear being, beloved being, uh, how they view us. What do they see when they look at our smiling face? How do we look to them through their eyes? They see our lovable qualities whatever it is that has inspired them to be of assistance or offer their friendship, offer their support, 
whatever it is in us that draws them to us to seek our company, our companionship. So we might consider that to this dear being, we are also a dear being. And we're also worthy of friendliness, kindness, goodwill. And this being probably would offer us that freely. Can we connect it with the truth in our own hearts that we also cherish these same wish, wishes for ourselves? That we also, in our heart of hearts, we long for safety, for security, and for well-being, peace, happiness, whatever we might call it or imagine it to be, in our bodies and in our minds. And we also hope to be able to live in the world without hardship, without struggling, not to have to worry about making ends meet, not to have to worry about being able to care for those that are dependent on us, who rely on us. We all share these wishes. So we are also deserving of each other's friendship, each other's goodwill. And most of all, of our own friendship and goodwill. For who is our more constant companion than ourselves? Who spends more time with us, has more influence over us, has more power to affect our lives than we do? So maybe can we find it in our hearts to offer ourselves our own friendship? Just check it out, see if it's possible. And if not, if that feels like too much of a stretch, it's fine to stay where it's easy, considering a beloved being. But if we can, maybe just offer ourselves a few rounds of good wishes. May I be safe, protected, May I be at ease in my mind. May I be at ease in my body, just as it is. May I be able to care for myself joyfully. Finding the expression of those wishes that feels truly genuine. Not somebody else's words, but your own. be safe and protected. May I be happy and peaceful. May I be at peace in the body, just as it is. May I be able 
to make my way in the world with ease. Perhaps imagining ourselves as a young child, that younger version of ourselves that we can reflect on with care and compassion, offering them our friendship, and perhaps remembering our own good qualities, the good things that we've done in our lives, our courage, our sensitivity, our sincerity, all of the wholesome qualities that have brought us here to do this work are beautiful qualities May we find the safety, the security that we want. May we be able to be free from danger, from worry, from threat, fear. May we be able to find and cultivate those qualities that will allow us to be more and more peaceful, more and more at ease, more joyful. May we learn to make peace with the body, to be able to live in it more lightly, accept its failings and shortcomings, and be at ease in these bodies just as they are. May we all be able to live in the world in reasonable comfort, finding wholesome sources of livelihood without difficulty, so that we can meet our basic needs, support those who depend on us, and be able to offer to the broader community, to those who are not as fortunate, and be a source of goodness and generosity to the world beyond our own small interests. May we be free from suffering and may all beings everywhere be free from suffering. There's time for a few questions about the the metta practice, if there's anything that's not clear or that you're wondering about. Somebody else's pain is, is very peaceful for me, and then I don't know 
Uh-huh. So, so doing this loving-kindness practice in this particular way that we just did, that's a new practice? And it seems like it brings up pain. Yeah. And is that really helpful? <laughs> hmm. Yes and no. I mean, it kind of depends. As I mentioned in the instructions, this um, practice can, can flush out all sorts of stuff. We might think of this loving-kindness practice, it's like we're flushing the pipes, so sometimes what first comes out is all the gunk that's been stopping up the works, you know? <laughs> so um, all sorts of things can arise. You know, for example, working with a benefactor figure, you know, if we're considering maybe a teacher or a mentor, um, someone that we consider as having maybe a lot of wisdom, a lot of equanimity, maybe a lot of happiness, maybe more than we do, um, jealousy might arise. <laughs> Or resentment, you know. Why am I? Not, why am I offering you good wishes? You know, I'm the one that needs good wishes, um, or or anything really. You know, all sorts of things may come up in considering, um, you know, a being that, that's that's dear, that's having difficult circumstances. Um, then it's it's very common for you know pain to come up, you know, grief around those circumstances. That it's not so for them. That they're not enjoying safety or health or happiness or whatever it is. Um, so this is why it's important, one of the reasons that we want to start in the easiest possible way. So, you know, it may be that our first few tries we choose somebody as the subject, beginning subject of meditation that's a little too sticky. So it may be that a being comes to mind that's very dear to us, but because of the circumstances in their lives, it's maybe just there's a little too much baggage there. It's not necessarily the easiest place to start, even though they might be the person that we feel like we love most in the world. It might actually be easier to start with someone who's a little bit more removed, who's enjoying somewhat more uh, calm circumstances in their lives, perhaps. So we can experiment a little bit and uh, do a little auditioning. <laughs> you know, Can we find somebody for this first entry point into the practice that does inspire some genuine, you know, easy, free-flowing affection that's just already there, but that doesn't bring up too much extra baggage around it? So you might want to drop back and punt. (laughs) We want to approach this practice in in just the easiest, gentlest kind of way. We want to, you know, give the heart an opportunity to stretch a little bit, but we don't want to push. You know, pushing the heart does not work. We want to just give it a chance to just gently loosen, little by little expand. Yeah. So I've done loving kindness before, and usually the benefactor or the beloved one is you're like the easy person Mm -hmm. but something I've experienced at times is when I'm directing phrases of loving kindness to this person I actually start nitpicking the things they've done (laughs) that have angered me Uh so like generally I'm like oh I like this person but then I'll like remember that time they responded in a way I didn't think was appropriate in a particular situation so then I'm like how is the like, this person isn't easy anymore. Like, that's, this is supposed to be the easy person, but then they're not easy. Or then I'll, like, I'll find myself easier because, I don't know, I know I've done things I don't like, but I figure, hey, like, whatever. But then with someone else, I'll just remember sometimes, like, the one thing they've done that has disappointed me the most, mm-hmm, even mm-hmm. though everything else about them is pretty cool. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's a good comment. So it, it goes both ways, actually. So the comments that, you know, we might initially pick somebody that we think of as somebody who's very dear, that is very easy to feel affection and gratitude towards. But then as we continue offering them these good wishes, all of the little things start to kind of come to mind. And we realize it's not quite so simple. That there's, there's, the relationship is more complicated. And it could go the other way around, too, which you may have experienced, is which we start with somebody who's fairly difficult, which we do at a certain point in the practice. And then as we continue sending them good wishes like all those little things that have been bothering us about them suddenly they don't seem like such a big deal and the difficult person becomes easy so it's a, it's an ongoing process of transformation and it's not necessary to find the perfect subject of, med- of the meta meditation so it's good enough if, if it's just you know mostly positive and part of this part of the meditation is that first in, that first component of bringing the being to mind and really we want to deliberately focus on their lovable qualities 
you know, so so nobody's perfect, right? We're all human, and no matter how much we love somebody, it's possible to think of, you know, things that they've done that have bothered us, or things that they've messed up with, mistakes that they've made. But for this practice, we really want to keep bringing to mind, seeing them happy, remembering their good qualities, and br- and bring that to mind over and over again. We're kind of we're cultivating the ability to see the good in others, which is it's not which is not to say that we're trying to um, blot out or deny the shadow side that people have. You know, it's not that we're ignore, trying to ignore that or not see that, but we want to cultivate that ability to appreciate what's worth appreciating, what's genuinely worth appreciating, and see if we can connect with that as the basis for just, you know, basic goodwill, basic friendliness. So we're not talking about feeling like we're totally in love with this person. <laughs> you know, that's, that's not the feeling of metta. The feeling of metta isn't this heavy, syrupy, you know, violins playing kind of emotion. It's this very light, just, just simply wishing another person well, or just even just respecting another person's you know, basic right to be in the world and to experience a basic degree of happiness and well-being. And this is, this is a, a capacity... <laughs> that is sorely lacking in our society right now. You know, this ability to just have just a really simple baseline level of, of respect and goodwill towards each other in many ways. So it's, it's a really important practice to cultivate. And this is often, this is called, um, in the traditional teachings, it's called a, a practice of purification, which that can sound a little heavy, but we see, you know, as you all are saying, that it's really true, that it, it it's through doing this practice that we flush out everything that's not actual, genuine metta. And this is how we come to understand what real, unconditional friendliness is, is by seeing all of these things that come up that are not unconditional friendliness. So we're kind of learning by process of elimination <laughs> what it is to actually just have a, a simple, free-flowing sense of goodwill towards another being. Yeah, and the green... Mm-hmm. During retreat here, um, this group of teachers, we find that it's helpful to bring it in to help to soften and to give some bigger perspective on the practice. So we'll be, you know, offering it every afternoon at this time. Um, and for most of us, that's probably enough, you know, to have one period during the day when we really focus on it. And then, of course, we do the chanting at night, which this this chant, some of you may already know, has a way of seeping into your head and uh, running around in there. So you might start to hear the loving-kindness uh, chant at just random moments during the day, which is a nice thing. Um, in the course of ordinary life, many people make this a part of their regular practice. So every morning or in the evening before going to bed is actually a traditional time to do this practice because it soothes the mind, kind of releases the any uh, unpleasant emotions, the stress from the day. So it can be a nice practice to add into our regular daily or weekly practice as well. Yeah, all the way back. This is more of an observation maybe than a mm-hmm. question, but I'm interested in your thoughts. I, I found, so I picked a, a very easy to get along with benefactor with practically no baggage. And I actually found myself, as I was presenting them with loving kindness, I found myself nitpicking my shortcomings mm-hmm. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, that's something also that can come up is there can be a sense of our unworthiness, our unworthiness to really be friends <laughs> with this person or, you know, who am I to wish you well, you know, just little old me or, you know, if there's, if there's um, lingering guilt over interactions that we've had with somebody, those can get flushed out. We might, might not even realize they were in there. Yeah, so all of this stuff has a chance to come up and be seen. So there's, there is this real mindfulness aspect to this practice. It's not just about the well-wishing, but then about seeing what's coming up around it for ourselves, which are all of the things that are our are, are barriers, all of the things that are impediments to actually connecting in a genuine way with others. So if we, if we don't see those things, then they can't change. <laughs> so this practice also allows us to see you know, the good, the bad, and the ugly. <laughs>
Yeah. Equanimity. Uh, say a little bit more about, like, where did I mention it? <laughs> In one of the phrases? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, that, that's a whole Dharma talk, which I'm not sure if <laughs> we'll get to or not, but um, equanimity is the word in the teachings that's used to describe the highest form of happiness. So, uh, this is the direction that the practice is headed, this is the direction of peace, uh, is not to be unceasingly, you know, blissfully happy, <laughs> which is not really realistic, but to be um, at peace, to be at ease with things as they are, when things are blissfully happy, when there's ho- they're horribly painful, and everywhere in between. So uh, to wish equanimity for someone or equanimity for someone around a certain circumstance in their lives is to, is to wish them peace. And so if that word is meaningful, you can use it. If it's not, then not. Yeah. Is it okay to use someone who's deceased? We we usually recommend not, at least especially initially, if, if we're newer to the practice, I don't know how much experience you have. And the, on, the only reason for that is that um, you know, we think about someone who's passed on differently than someone who's still here. And there's also more opportunity for grief to come up around that person, potentially. So it's not that we, you know, absolutely shouldn't, but it's probably not the easiest place to start, just to begin. Yeah. I just wanted to say, um, this is the first time I've done this. Hmm. Mm. You know, not that I'm a cold-hearted person, <laughs> or not like meltdown, <laughs> but it, it, like that shedding of layers that you talked about, and that's kind of what it felt like. And I don't know if that's, is that the usual way you have it? <laughs> That's also an option. <laughs> so it may be at times that we feel like the heart is really kind of loosening up, you know, like physically softening or just the energy around here. It starts to become warmer or more active. We might feel more vibration, tingling, warmth around the physical heart center. You know, this, this practice, you know, there's that really strong mind-body link in everything. And especially around this practice, there could be physical affect that comes from doing this practice, feeling like there is opening. So that's very nice when it comes. That's also on the menu, <laughs> but it doesn't have to be that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's a good point. Should as we do this throughout the course of the retreat, should we stick with the same people? So you know, some of us that have been doing this practice for a while, we kind of have the established people. <laughs> like we've kind of picked our people for each category, and those will evolve over time. You know, they, they don't remain always equally effective, um, but we kind of we might have a, a, a set. <laughs> we might have a little course of people that we know we can just kind of go right to that person. For a particular uh, part of the meditation, if we're new to the medit- new to the meditation, new to the practice, then we might need to spend a little time auditioning people, because <laughs> it can take a little time, as, as has come up a few times here. It might take a little experimentation to get a feel for, okay, what's what's kind of the most helpful being type of being that will that can touch my heart but not bog me down with too many complications. So if you found somebody today that you felt like you kind of got in a groove with, that they seemed to kind of meet the criteria, <laughs> you know, you were able to kind of get into a flow with it, then yeah, just stick with them. But if the, the person or people you experimented with today didn't really, they feel, you felt, didn't feel like it really clicked, then it's fine to, you know, tomorrow you have another try to, to audition, a, you know, another couple people. <laughs> yeah. So practicing with a spouse or maybe a partner, romantic or you know, sexual interest, love interest, 
Um, it kind of depends on your relationship with that person. <laughs> it's not generally recommended as, as an entry point, just because, as you're saying, it may easily lead us into more into the realm of desire or aversion, <laughs> you know, or just a lot of ruminating, uh, depend, again, depending on the relationship. But if you tried it and it worked really well, you know, hey, go with it. <laughs> the, the proof's kind of in the pudding. So. <laughs> and it may change, too. Uh, yeah, way in the back. <laughs> so not a lot of uh, challenges in the metta practice, just free-flowing goodwill. So the question's about not encountering enough difficulty in the metta practice. It's okay. <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> it's you know, it's a practice. It evolves. So it, I don't know how long you've been at it, but it, you know, it can be like that for a long time, and then maybe something shifts. You know, um, it, it certainly doesn't sound like there's any problem there. Yeah, I wouldn't make a big deal out of it. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, you bring up a good point, which is that ultimately it doesn't really matter who we choose as the subjects. Um, per se, like we, you know, so it's, it's important to choose a subject that will touch our heart and help, en- help us to open the heart, but it's not about purifying our relationship with a particular being, you know, so we don't do this practice to improve our relationship with our spouse, we don't, or to improve our relationship with our mother or with our boss, you know, or any of those things. Um, those specific transformations may come about as a result of the practice, but we're doing the practice in much more of a universal way, just to, to open the heart, to soften the heart, to activate that, that quality of kindness, that co- quality of gentleness and acceptance and respect and all those good things, which then w- once those are activated, then they're more just generally available. So it's like the, the metta practice is, is, the point of it is to, to flip the switch, to turn the metta on. <laughs> not to shine a flashlight at some particular being, which is how it tends to work. The metta practice is it's really still mysterious to me, <laughs> the way that it works, because, you know, we may be practicing for a long time with some conscious or unconscious agenda to improve a specific relationship or to improve some aspect of how we relate to others. You know, we c- it's very easy to develop all sorts of agendas around this practice. And then, but then we may find after either a little bit of practice or a lot of practice that something really does start to shift, but it's not, it's something that we absolutely didn't expect. You know, it may, we may be working on this relationship over here, but then that one over there is the one that really changes. Or we may be trying to change this particular thing about how we relate with some, with people and something else over there might change. So it, it is a very kind of holistic practice. We don't, definitely don't want to get too fixated on wanting to get specific results out of it because it just it doesn't work that way. It's much more of a systemic effect that it has. Yeah. What about um, the agenda to improve uh, my relationship with myself? Mm-hmm. They definitely have that agenda. <laughs> mm-hmm. The agenda to re- improve one's relationship with oneself. Uh, we can hold that as an aspiration. It's an important aspiration. Yeah, and then we'll see what happens. <laughs> That's a good note to end on. Uh, so we have time for walking now.
Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.